Devora Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. All right, good morning, ladies, and welcome to another episode of the Bitachon Vaccine on my new podcast called Accessing Your Best Self. You can find it anywhere you find podcasts. I just found them recently because I didn't even know they existed, but I don't know if you're as big a dinosaur as I am. So this class is being sponsored by the Adelsberg family, Renee Adelsberg, in memory of Steve's father, Shmiel Shmelka Ben Gedalia. May his neshama have an aliyah. And as a Rafua Shalema for Rifka Gitto Bas Yehudis, Esther Bas Rus, Tema Devora Bas Leah Mila Chava, and all of the Chole Yisrael, um, wherever, who, and people that you may have in mind as well, may this learning of Torah that we're doing together help everybody to have a Rafua Shalema. So, as I was saying, we woke up this morning. Today is a, quite a day. We said Modani and we wondered who is the new president. And um, we still don't know. We still don't know. And uh, there is no time like right now for us to practice what we've been learning in our class on Emuna and Bitachon. Whether the candidate you are going for wins, I had written this in the past tense, you know, like last night, won or lost, but we don't know yet, right? So whether the candidate that you are going for wins or loses, we know that ultimately everything is in the hands of Hashem. Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon taught us in Mishlei that the heart of a king is like a stream of water in the hand of God. Wherever he wishes, he will direct it. So how does a, a Jewish person, how does a Baal Bitachon, a master of trust, go forward, regardless of whether or not Trump or Biden wins? What are we supposed to think? So Penny very nicely shared a very important post on our Clanton Park chat this week, and I want to share it with you. And I don't know the rabbi's name, but he talked about this idea of Bitachon and Hishtadlut, which has been our subject um, since last class. And he basically asks the question how, in the midst of this election, how does one go forward and have the right mindset, the mindset of a person who has trust in the Almighty? So he cites a, a, a Gemara in Megillah, which discusses the story of Purim, the Megillah's Esther, and one of the questions there is, what was Esther thinking when she invited Haman to the party? Why would she do such a thing? And the Gemara gives actually 12 different reasons for what she had in mind by doing that. And all of these reasons are correct. Now, one of the reasons which is apropos to our situation is an opinion of Rabbi Nehemia, who said that the reason that Esther invited Haman to the party was because she was worried that the Jewish would pe people would say, as things were heating up, you know, we got nothing to worry about. We've got a sister in the palace. 
We've got somebody looking out for us. We've got protectia. We don't have to worry about anything. And Esther knew that the Jewish people were going to be thinking like that and that they were going to be relying on her to get them out of this troublesome situation as opposed to relying on Hashem. And sure enough, when Esther invites Haman to the party, the Jewish people start sittering, as they say. They start getting very, very nervous and wondering, what is she doing? Why is she inviting her, their arch enemy, who's just made a decree that all the Jewish people will be annihilated, to this party, to this private party? And sure enough, they realize that perhaps they can't trust her, and as we know in the Megillah, that's when the Jewish people do this turnabout. They start fasting. They start doing tshuva, led by Mordechai. And they realize that it's not in anybody else's hands, but it's only in our hands. And only Hashem is the one on whom we can rely. There's a pasuk we say in Hallel, Al tiftahu bin divim. Don't rely on nobles. Don't rely on chashiva people, important people. Don't put your bitachon in people, period. Because our bitachon can only be in Hashem. No matter which president wins, no matter who comes into the White House, either one is just a puppet in Hashem's hands. If the one we don't like becomes president... Hashem is doing this to show us that we have no one in the White House who, is for, who, who, who we feel is for us, that we feel is advocating for us. And if this happens, it's because Hashem is saying to us, you can't rely on the president, you have to rely on me. You have to deepen your relationship and connection with me and the understanding that Hashem is in control of everything that Hashem has been in control of Jewish destiny since the beginning of time. And if the pre friendlier president becomes the new leader of this powerful country, we still should not put our emuna in him. So the point is, is we have nothing to be nervous about no matter who wins. Because our job is to do our hishtadlut, to vote, to daven, to give some tzedakah if you like, to you know, put money behind the political candidate that we believe in. But after that, we know, as we spoke about in last week's class, the results are completely in Hashem's hands. Tamim im Hashem You should be unsophisticated, so to speak, simple-minded when it comes to your relationship with Hashem. Do what you have to do, but recognize at the end, it's all up to Hashem. Because it's in Him alone that we can rely, upon whom we can rely. Again, Hashem has guided us throughout our history, and ultimately He's guiding our destiny, no matter what the elections, no matter what the outcome of these elections. So we spoke about in other classes that bitachon is a skill. It's not something that comes naturally. Now, some people who have more anxiety than others will find bitachon more difficult if that's their homer. Other people who are born with less anxiety may find it an easier skill. But for all of us, no matter where we begin, 
It takes a lifetime to develop true bitachon. It's a mindset. It's a way of looking at life through clear lenses. And as I said in last week's class, it's a choice that we make. Once we make the free will choice to want it, then we begin the work. It's a choice. We said, uh, we said before that for somebody who doesn't believe, it doesn't matter how many good answers you might throw at them, there are no good answers. And for somebody who does believe, even when they have questions that they know cannot be answered with our limited um, perspective and our limited mind, it's good enough. And that's where they just continue to hope and, and, and look forward to the promise that we know is coming. But bitachon is a choice. I want to share with you a, a funny story popped into my mind. I was not the easiest teenager, although as my mother got older, I think she had selective memory and she forgot how difficult I was. She'd say, no, you were fine. You were great. You were easy. I was like, mom, I don't know. I think you, uh, you've erased something. But one of our, one of our favorite family stories, at least one that my mother and I loved is, you know, whenever I was not acting properly, my mother would say to me, ah, you're just going through puberty. You know, you're going through puberty. I, I hate that word. I didn't like that word. I didn't know what it meant, right? But any one, one day when she was telling me that I'm going through puberty and that's why I'm disrespectful and that's why I'm moody and every other, you know, behavior, I turned around and defiantly said to her, I don't believe in puberty. I could be good if I want to. I just don't want to. So I think I understood free will even from a young age. I didn't like that my mother was giving me an excuse for my bad behavior. I, I, I believe that I had the choice and I just didn't want to be good. Okay, so last week, again, we were discussing the relationship between bitachon and hishtadlut. Bitachon meaning trust in Hashem and making efforts. So the first point that we made was that at the same time that we make our efforts, we are supposed to believe and know that God is the one who determines the results. And yet he expects us to make our efforts. We said that it's a tax that we have to pay ever since the time of Adam HaRishon. When Adam HaRishon and Chava, etc. were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, no longer was bread going to grow from the trees no longer would they live a purely spiritual life with all their material needs taken care of. Now we would have to work for our bread. We would have to make material and physical hishtadlut efforts. Now, how much do we have to do? And how much can we leave to God? So this varies from person to person. And it's very much dependent to a large degree on how much each of us truly believes that Hashem is in charge. So it's really in our hands. It changes according to how well we develop the skill of bitachon. We live in a world that says that results depend on our efforts. Even though intellectually and over and over again we've seen this not to be true. This is what we're taught. 
It's drilled into us. And it's, <clears throat> it's difficult for us to let go and let God <clears throat> and be good enough. And we also said that people can be too heavy on one side of the coin or the other. In other words, you have the person that says, listen, if God does everything and he's in charge, then I'm just going to sit back and relax. And the truth is, is this could look like bitachon. But a person can fool himself. It might be an excuse for laziness. It may be counterfeit bitachon that he fools himself or herself that he or she has. But it really comes from lethargy. And then you have the other side. The sorry, the Balbitachon can say, why do I have to do anything if Hashem is running the world? Let me sit back and relax. He'll take care of things. Hashem Yazor, if you remember our little joke. Hashem will help. I'll win the lottery. I don't need to buy a ticket. But then you have the other side of the coin, the Bal Hishtadlut, we're going to call him. The one who believes in efforts and a lot of effort. He's the guy who likes to say that whenever you bring up the subject of bitachon, he always says, listen, God only helps those who help themselves. You know that person? <laughs> right? So I always say that's always everybody's reaction. As soon as you ta start talking about trusting in God, that's always the Jewish reaction. Listen, God only, you know, but I say, listen, maybe you need to work a little bit on the other side, right? And this is a person who maybe this is coming because of the fact that they're a control freak. They're a type A personality, right? This is the person that doesn't leave anything to God. Maybe he's a workaholic, the guy who cuts corners halachically in business, or the control freak who leaves no stone unturned in his quest for success at the expense of his health, family, and relationships. She's the helicopter mom, the snow shovel mom, if you've heard the difference between the two. This helicopter mom comes and rescues when the child is in danger. The snow shovel mom makes sure that the kid never gets in a situation that they have to be rescued from, right? They clear the path, make sure she gets into the right bunk at camp with the friends that she wants, Make sure that she gets my potato kugel while she's at camp and God forbid doesn't have to eat the camp's potato kugel because, you know, it's not as good as mine. And this is also an example of being a bit too much of a control freak. She doesn't want her child to ever experience failure or God forbid sadness. So each one of us has to find the right balance. And that balance is as unique as each one of us is. You know, the control freak, it reminds me of a little joke of a guy who was uh, on the highway driving his motorcycle. You've probably heard this one, but I'll repeat it for anybody who hasn't. And unfortunately, he gets hit by a big truck that sides, comes alongside him. And he's thrown off his motorcycle and he starts plummeting down, down, down thousand feet drop and as he's falling he suddenly is caught by the branch of a tree that's sticking out of the side of the mountain and he's hanging there 
And he just can't believe it, that he's hanging there and holding on for dear life. And of course, there's no atheist in a foxhole. He starts screaming up to Hashem, help me, help me, God, help me. And all of a sudden, a voice comes down from heaven and says, David, it's me. And David says, who is it? He says, it's me, it's God. Do you trust me? And he says, yes, yes, I trust you. He says, do you believe in me? He says, yes, yes, I believe in you. He says, okay, then let go of the branch. And David looks back up and he says, anybody else up there? So an extreme example of somebody who can't let go, literally, figuratively. Okay. So as each of us climbs the ladder of bitachon, there's an idea that the more bitachon that you acquire, the less hishtadlut that you have to make. You don't have to make as much effort. Instead of making a hundred phone calls to get your kid into that doctor or into that school, you only have to make three. Okay? The more you sincerely give it up to Hashem and let go and let God, the more Hashem can do for you. He is the kol yachol. The kol yachol. He has the ability to do anything and everything. As someone once put it, he's my sugar daddy in the sky. You know? And he wants to give me. And he wants to do for me. And it's not even based on my merits. It's not even based on how many mitzvahs I've tallied up. It's just for the pure, simple reason that I'm his child. And the more I depend and look to him, the more he wants to give me. And the more I say thankful, thank you, you want to give that kid who's got some gratitude. You know, not the one who's going through puberty. You want to give that kid who's being, you know, aware and appreciative of what you're doing for them. That's just the way we are, and that's the way Hashem is too. But most of us are not so comfortable giving up the driver's seat. We're not so comfortable handing the steering wheel over to God. You know, it begins when we're two years old, right? No, 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 I do it, I do it, I do it. And then it continues through, through teenagehood, you know? Um, my favorite book written about teenagers uh, how does it go? What's the title? Get out of my life, but first could you take Cheryl and me to the mall? You know, that sums it up, right? And we don't change in adulthood either. If I don't do it, who's going to do it? You know, it's a cop-out for me to rely on God. I'm independent. I'm a free agent. You know, um, I, I do it. I do it. But the truth is, is that Hashem is our shadow, David HaMelech calls Hashem my shadow. And we said the same way that a shadow imitates and follows what we do, so too we, so to speak, influence Hashem to follow us, depending on how much we trust and believe in Him. The Chazon Ish said that when you stand close to a street light, um, your shadow actually gets smaller. The closer you are to the street, the light of the street lamp, 
your shadow gets smaller. And he uses that as an analogy that the closer you are to the light, meaning Hashem, and the more humble you become, the smaller your shadow gets, this is part of the process of having more bitachon, of recognizing how little we can actually do, how far our efforts actually go without having Hashem's bracha and input in terms of the outcome and the results that we want. And when you put your trust in Hashem, you can expect Him to do more for you. We said that. You give Him the power to act for you. And I just want to reiterate this idea because it's a bit of a chiddush, that it has nothing to do with your merits. It happens just because you trust. As a matter of fact, in uh, the Sefer I've been learning out of uh, Emun and Bitachon by Rabbi Avigdor Miller, he says even Rishaim, even wicked people, if they trust in God, God does for them. A robber, a thief, the Talmud tells us, Praise to God before he's about to break into a house, right? Please, God, let me get in there. Let me get the jewels. Let me get out before the cops come, right? And if it's really sincere prayer, God listens, perhaps. I mean, this, this is a whole nother subject, right? But the point is, is God might listen because it's not about our merits. It's about the way Hashem set things up. And the last point that we've spoken a little bit about is the idea, again, that nothing can harm us or benefit us unless Hashem allows it to happen. And it's amazing how, you know, I once heard a story by this rabbi, I think his name is Label Lamb, and, you know, he told it as a long, shaggy dog story, but I'll tell it to you in short, that basically he was, he was in New York, he was in a part of Brooklyn that was like dilapidated, scary neighborhood, um, he parked his car somewhere and, you know, every car around him had their windows smashed and looked like the car had been, cars had been sitting there for months and years. And he's really frightened, but he gets his, out of his car. And as he's walking towards his destination, these two shady looking guys are walking towards him and they're whispering as they're coming closer and that morning, he said, he was sitting, every morning at breakfast, he was sitting and learning Shar uh, Bitachon from the book, Duties of the Heart, Chovot HaLevavot. And that morning, he had just learned this principle that no one can hurt me or benefit me unless it's God's will. So as they're coming towards him and he's going towards them, he remembers this teaching and he starts muttering this under his breath. Nobody can hurt me and nobody can benefit me unless it's God's will, right? And he's, you know, really putting into play, flexing his spiritual muscle, cleaning the lenses of his glasses and trying to incorporate his emuna into bitachon, right? He's in a real situation. You believe in God, but how does that translate? How does that translate in real time? So he's saying, you know, if they can only, only if Hashem allows it, they could benefit me or hurt me. Anyway, he said he could not believe it. And you, you can't believe the end of the story. But as he gets closer and they pass each other, he hears these two guys say to each other loudly enough so he can hear. He says, well, you know, uh, Pedro, 
Nobody, we, we can't do anything, you know, if God doesn't let us. We can't, we, you know, we can't do anything to this guy if God doesn't let us. And he, he was so shocked, you know. And sometimes I say, like, it's interesting, like, sometimes non-Jewish people are less complicated than we are. You know, we've got the Jewish cup, right? And, you know, we've got to study, we've got to, like, work at it, we've got to hear the idea 600 times. But if you've ever met a religious Christian, and I have a few in my coaching course, so I find it quite refreshing. I mean, it's, like, so simple to them. So, you know, sometimes when, this is what makes me be able to believe this story. Okay, let's go on. Last week, we were starting to begin to talk about the practical emotional benefits of having bitachon. The first point we made is that bitachon is an anxiety reducer. So, when you know the results are not in your hands, when you know that you've done the best that you possibly could in whatever situation you're in, then hopefully you can start reducing your anxiety. And the way that you know how anxious you are is to check yourself. What mood am I in when I am making my efforts? Right? Am I frenzied? Am I overdoing? Am I sitting with the Tehillim all day long? Right? Or am I calmer? Because I know I'm making my efforts, but God is running the show. He has a plan. Everything that happens, whether it feels good or it doesn't, is good for me. It's coming from a loving parent who's guiding me. The next point I want to make, and this is new for this week, is the idea that bitachon is a guilt reducer. Okay, we all have a lot of Jewish guilt. If only I had done things that way. If only I would have said that. If only I would have gone to that doctor. Okay, or, you know, or the opposite, right? We'll say, if something happens, I'm not responsible. I'm not responsible for that. Now, that's easy to say when you had nothing to do with the outcome. But what if you feel that you caused the result? God forbid, let's say, God forbid, you're driving your car and you hit somebody. Well, how are you supposed to get over that? How can Bitachon help you in that situation? How can you realize that this was supposed to happen and somehow minimalize your guilt? When you feel you caused it and it's not such a good or positive thing, right? Only It's only going to be with bitachon that you'll be able to rid yourself of that guilt. Now, the other way people respond to things when they don't turn out the way they want is to blame other people, right? I'm not going to take the guilt. It's the first story in, 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 in Bereshit. What happens when Adam and Chava eat from the tree? God comes and says, what happened? What did you do? And the first response of the human being, Adam says, listen, it wasn't my fault. It was that woman you gave me. She's my downfall. She's the one you got to, you know, go after. And what does Chava say? Chava says, hey, excuse me, not my fault. It was the snake, right? The snake started this whole scam, this whole thing. 
So it's built into the human psyche. I remember hearing years ago, you know, uh, a human being needs four things to survive. Food, water, shelter, and someone to blame. Okay, so as long as we have someone to blame, we're good. <laughs> okay, everybody can relate to that. So these kind of responses, either blaming or taking on, you know, the outcome and saying my fault, my fault, my fault, to the point that it paralyzes you, to the point that you can't move forward, right? Um, it's, it's part of cognitive distortion, right? When, when, when you do cognitive behavior therapy, they have a list of all the different types of cognitive distortions and beliefs that people live with that, 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 that make them stuck and unable to move forward and unable to see things properly. You know, black and white type of thinking. Um, so it's a cognitive distortion in the extreme, let's say, a person, we all know that person, who blames all of life's circumstance, circumstances on someone else. Right. If I had only had different parents, if I had only gone to a different school, if I didn't have that teacher. Right. It's always somebody else's fault that this is where I am in life. Or we or there's personalization, which is another blaming type of way. And that is when you bring it to yourself. You know, if only I'd been a better parent, my kids would have turned out differently. If only I would have driven that person to school that morning when they asked me to. If only I had done carpool, that accident never would have happened. But I said no that morning. It's my fault that this happened. Or it's the child who says, I'm the one who caused my parents' divorce, right? We know that's a very big psychological thing that children feel I'm responsible. I'm the one who did it. It's because of me. But Bitachon tells me that my actions were not controlling the outcome. Again, I was once at my mother-in-law's and there was this movie on and it was taking place in India I don't remember the name of the movie, but there was like a servant in the movie who was like a very sub subservient servant to the main hero of the movie. And at one point he says this line to him, well, you know, it doesn't matter what you do because the matter has already been decided. And he was talking about in terms of heaven. And again, just this profundity, you know, that seems so simple, and yet we work a lifetime to really integrate and incorporate this. So the idea of bitachon is, you have a job to do, you should do your best, but you're not controlling the outcome. If I would have done this, then the child would have turned out. Mm -mm. You're not controlling another person. You might be helping the person, but every person has his or her own journey to make. As my daughter likes to say, and, and uh, Terry also, 
No mother comes down the stairs every morning and says, how can I mess up my kids today? How can I make sure that they're in therapy for the next 20 years, right? Unless they themselves are, you know, but a regular normal person, mother, father, that's not our intention. We do the best we can, as Miri Madahan says, with the tools that we have at that time. So in the Gemara, there's a line that says, a judge can only judge based on what his eyes see. Again, a judge can only judge based on what his eyes see. What is, what is this Gemara teaching us? It's teaching us that even if a future document will shed greater light on the case in front of him, the judge isn't held responsible for this. He made the best decision that he could make at that time without necessarily having all the documents in front of him because they weren't available. All he is responsible for is what is in front of him right now. And that, um, that applies to us too. At whatever time in our lives that we were doing the best we could with the tools that we had, we didn't have certain information. So we shouldn't blame ourselves. Hashem didn't even put that information in front of you. We all have blind spots. We all have limitations. And these blind spots and limitations were also part of Hashem's plan. Very important point. Our blind spots, our limitations, as we said, our negative character traits, our weaknesses, the things we're not so savvy at, the insights that we don't didn't have at the time that we really felt we needed them. These are all part of Hashem's plan. So beating ourselves up, feeling guilty or anxious have no place in the life of a Balbitachon. We don't really like this idea because part of our rejection of this idea is perhaps the fear that this will excuse a person. You know, we could be lazy. We could say, you know, um, I'm not accountable. Again, it's not my fault. But the idea is not to do that as much as to realize we can learn from our mistakes. That it's not guilt that helps us, but if we see a mistake that we go towards proactive change and we don't sit in this place of guilt, we say to ourselves, I'm going to educate myself and learn from the mistake. But anxiety and guilt, again, do not fit into someone who has trust. It's not in their lexicon. And worry, worry is part of this too. Obviously, worry and anxiety are connected. And, and, you know, worrying about something is not constructive. Being concerned about whatever situation you're in has a different tone to it. And I know that Sarah Hunter Radcliffe uh, gives this uh, psychological tip that if there is a concern in your life, you shouldn't be entertaining it from morning till night. You should make an appointment with it. 
you know, every day at six o'clock or seven o'clock, I'm going to sit down with my concern and I'm going to deal with it. But if it monopolizes your mind and you ruminate on it from morning till night, from the time you wake up in the morning and say, Moda Ani, it's there going, hi, I'm here. And you say Shabbat at night and it says, good night, see you tomorrow. Right? This is not a good place to be. This is not a place of bitachon. Make an appointment with yourself and deal with that worry and concern. Again, going back to this idea of chomer and surah, some of us are born more anxious. Right? Some of us are born like, you know, water off a duck's back when things happen. Some of us are more carefree. And others of us, you know, take it all in and are heavy. And this has nothing to do with anything we did. This is the way Hashem created us. Our job in this world is to take our home air and work with it. And like I've said many times, that's called Sura, creating some kind of beautiful sculpture out of the materials we were given, both the positive and the negative. Who I am is God's gift to me, but who I become is my gift to God. As my mother used to like to say. Um, we're not judged on this, on whether we're anxious, more anxious or less anxious. For example, you could come from a family who modeled anxiety and worry all the time. So people can have a disposition towards it, and it's not even innate. They weren't even genetically wired this way, but they learned to be this way because of their social, environmental, nurture environment around them. And literally, uh, biologically, they've done studies that have showed that some people's brains are wired to be more anxious, to have that genetic factor of greater anxiety. And of course, there's something called post-traumatic stress disorder, psychological factors, things that can happen to you in life that make you more prone to anxiety. If you've been through some kind of sudden accident or a terrorist uh, attack, God forbid, or any kind of major illness, right? It can make you frozen psychologically. So it's very important. Another very important point is we should never compare ourselves to others. It's like comparing apples and oranges because each one of us is so incredibly unique. The Homer that God gave us, our constellation of both negative and positive traits are so refined and so unique to us and are given to us in all kinds of different measures, like a recipe, you know? I'm going to give a quarter cup of patience. I'm going to give a teaspoon of generosity. I'm going to give, you know, uh, uh, three cups of anxiety and four cups of anger, whatever it is, and, you know, five cups of, of uh, compassion and we're going to mix it all up. And each person has a completely, that's why character trait in Hebrew is called a mida. A mida means a measurement. We have different measurements of all the different positive and negative character traits. And so comparing yourself to others, I wish I was as calm as she was. I wish I, I, wish I handled things the way, you know, he always does. Why can't I be less emotional? Why can't I 
let it go off me like water off a duck's back. It's okay. Yes, that would be nice, but that's not the way you were created. So get busy. Use that person as a role model. Let that person be your mentor, but take small baby steps because that's what matters. As Bacha Galant says, spiritual success is not measured by goal reached, but by distance covered. There's not a, a, a finish line. Nobody reaches the finish line in this world. We're all works in progress, and what's important to Hashem is how far we move with the specific liabilities and pluses that he's given us for us to reach our purpose in this world, our mission in this world, to fulfill our tikkun in this world, our repair, and eat only you can do it. Another idea, there is no one since the beginning of time that is like you. You are the only one who can do what you have to do. Very powerful. Not paralyzing, hopefully, but it could be. But that's what we want to do is get busy and do it and, and embrace who we are in our entirety and recognize that whatever situation we're in right now is exactly what we need to be doing to perfect ourselves. It's not over the sea. It's not on a plane ride. It's not over there. It's right here in the next moment, in this day ahead of you. All the ingredients are in it for you to do your particular mission and task. Okay. So it's very important also this point that we should not allow what other people are doing or feeling to make us worried or anxious about ourselves. You have to have your own standards of what is good for you. You know, Dina Schoonmaker gives an example. She works at Michlala and she says, you know, let's say there's a girl who's trying to be considerate of her roommates in a dorm situation, and she's trying to be as neat as possible. But then she just decides to give up because everyone else is such a slob, right? That she says, forget it, I'm just going to be a slob like them. So she says that we shouldn't allow this. We shouldn't allow our standards to be lowered because of those around us, because we need to make an objective standard for ourselves that doesn't change because of where I am or who I'm with. And it's based on, you know, the truth about me. Not, you know, okay, the truth about me with an eye to what I want to be. But not in any way that creates so much pressure and anxiety. You know, Ravolba says that unfortunately there are people who walk around looking very morose and sad. And they, he says this is what they consider piety. And he says it's misplaced piety. And if learning Musser or, you know, working to become a greater person religiously or spiritually causes you to become depressed, then give it then 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 don't don't take that road because that's not what's supposed to happen. 
have your standards, have your areas where you're working, but comparing yourselves to others or being changed by those around you, either making you more nervous, I'm not good enough, or why bother, right? Nobody's at my standard around me. That takes tremendous strength and courage. Okay, ladies, we are very close to the end of our class. We did start late, but um, I know that many of you probably have what to do. And I just want to um, go back to the homework, the principal ideas for today. So, again, we have to ask ourselves, what is, what is normal for me? What's the normal amount of effort for me? Again, it's very individual. For one person, the normal amount of effort is I pick up the phone, I make a call, and I'm done, right? For another person, the normal amount of effort is, no, I've got to call at least five people to get this job done. And that's okay if that's considered normal, if you're not feeling like frenzied and, again, checking yourself. You know, if you're doing it at the same time knowing that it's in God's hands and you're just making your, what you consider normal hishtadlut. But the minute your blood pressure is going up or you're getting angry or you're frenetically calling everybody you know, perhaps it's a sign that you're overdoing, that you're not letting go and letting God. You're supposed to find the best doctor you're supposed to use the connections that you have. And maybe you're putting some money in the pushka, in the tzedakah box, but you should be doing these things in a calm way. That is the way it looks for a balbitachon. I'm doing what I have to do. I'm paying the tax, but the results are not in my hands. When I overdo, I'm not helping if I underdo, that's also a problem. But we're all checking ourselves to see how do we feel when we're making our hishtadlis. You know, is it making us sad? Is it making us anxious? Is it making us worried? Well, maybe we have to start flexing the other muscle a little bit more, right? The one that says it's not about God's not going to help those who don't help themselves. Maybe it's about, you know, again, letting go and letting God. Um, anyway, this is a very lofty level to reach for, but it's very effective um, in our lives to reduce anxiety and increase tranquility. <clears throat> so I just want to end the class by letting you know that um, <clears throat> I'm starting another class, God willing, on Sunday. This Sunday starting, it's going to be, whatever, I don't want my paper. It's going to be called um, A Meaningful Pathway to Prayer, A Closer Look at the Shemona Esrei, something like that. We're going to go through the Shemona Esrei together. And God willing, you know, make our davening reach a higher level. It's also obviously tefillah and bitachon certainly go together, um, developing that bitachon through tefillah. And um, that's going to be at 10 o'clock this Sunday.
for anybody who it'll it'll be advertised at the uh, on the village shul link and also Clanton Park um, chat and also in the Clanton Park web park website. And for anybody who would like to sponsor any future classes or podcasts, you can e email me at Devorah Vale, Devorah with an H, V A L E at yahoo.ca. <clears throat> and my last plug is that I am in the middle of a coaching course and I need to have a hundred hours of coaching to be able to um, graduate. And so I'm offering complimentary session, a first complimentary session for anybody who'd like to, to try that out and help me, and maybe I could help you. The idea of coaching is really to deal with something present tense that, you know, you, you're feeling stuck or you want to move forward and, um, you know, you need somebody to support you and help you brainstorm and get to the next step. And that's, that's really what coaching is about. It's about going from the present to the future. It's not focused on the past as much, um, but moving forward from today on. So God willing, I hope to get better and better at it. And uh, anyway, if you're interested, you can reach out to me. So have a wonderful week, ladies. God willing, whichever candidate becomes the next president. Has the word come out yet or not? Anybody know? No? Anyway, Hashem should watch over us. He should protect us. He should bring us to Yerushalayim with Mashiach, or even before that, God willing. And, you know, your families and all the people that you know and love oh. should be safe and well, and God willing, we should see the Yeshua very soon. Amen. Devorah, yes. will your Sunday... Will your Sunday class be recorded? Amen. So God willing, well. God willing, if I can get uh, things up and running around here. Yes. And and by the way, also, I haven't done it yet, but this podcast, I'm going to have all my archived classes on it. So any of the Musservads that I've done in the past, I'm hoping to upload classes. And they said, we don't.